Welcome to Karura's weekly podcast. Thank you so much for taking your time to journey with us. We hope your spiritual life will be transformed as you listen in. We start in three, two, one. The reading comes from the book of Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 to 10. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 to 10. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commanded for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering that Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before, before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who honestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And that's the reading of the word of God. Amen. Thank you very much, Imani. Thank you, Kinoti. Thank you, worship team. Please take your seats. As we look uh, at God's word today, today's title is Building by Faith. Building by Faith. You may realize that at the same time, simultaneously, we are building four buildings in a sense. We are building ourselves as God's people. We are building this facility for discipleship. We are building other people. But also we are part of building our home in eternity. And so those key areas are all important for us as we look at this whole issue of building by faith. I'll be looking at it from uh, five uh, he uh, subheadings. The first one is the foundation of faith. The fifth one is the faith that offers a better offering. Then the faith that honestly seeks God. The faith that believes in the, imp the, the impossible and faith that sees the invisible. And this is all from Hebrews chapter 11, from verse 1 to 10, in case uh, you are wondering where it will be coming from. I believe the slides will be coming up, but for now, please turn to your Bible so that you can follow. The foundation of faith. It says in verse 1 to 3, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed in God's command so that what is seen was made, was not made out of what is visible. 
Faith is founded on the character and person of God. It begins with hearing the word of God. And then from the substance of the word of God, it leads to conviction that translates into commitment and action. And it is that conviction that actually defines whether we really understand this faith or not, or whether we are part of it. Because I can believe that something is true, but until and unless I am convicted and committed to it, then it does not actually become faith in that sense. Because faith is expressed by the actions, by the things that I do. Just to show us how firm a foundation our faith is based on, the writer to the book of Hebrews draws us to the creation of the universe. And he tells us that this universe came into being by the command of the word of God. And that's where he begins. That that is where our foundation is. The foundation of our faith, the word of God. And this word is so powerful that it has actually created everything that we have, everything that we see today. And so the question that is posed probably by the writer to us is if he who can by his word make the whole universe, what is impossible for him? Even as we think about the four areas of building, building yourselves, building the discipleship facilities, building others, and building your home in heaven. What is more? He, God, the one who spoke the whole universe into being, invites us mere mortals to participate in his plans and in his agenda for this world in building all the four that I have said. And today, as Karura community, family, and our friends, we are in a small way being invited to be in the likeness of God in creation, using what he has given us, not from nothing like, like the way he did, but using what he has provided for us, the skills, the talents, the resources, to participate in the creation of what was not there as we put up this building creating from something that was not there at all and also being part of his agenda in reaching out to this community. That, my brothers and sisters, is our privilege today. The second, th the second part of this that I wish to look at is the faith that offers a better offering. It is said of Abel. Remember, he's going very chronologically. He begins with a universe and then he goes to the second uh, the, the first human beings who were born, of course, was Adam and Eve, but now he goes to the first human beings who were born in the fallen world. That was Adam, uh, Abel and Cain. He says, by faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offering. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. You see, God... Even though man sinned, Adam sinned, God, and, and he, had to get, he, had, he had to get them out of the Garden of Eden, it was actually an act of grace so that Adam and Eve don't go back to the Garden and eat of the Tree of Life and live forever in a sinful state. So what God does is he puts them out of the Garden, but he still offers them an opportunity to come and fellowship with him, to come and be close to him. But he's a holy God, and they are sinful, and so the, the two cannot relate, but they can only meet at altars where there is a sacrifice. And so he gives them an opportunity to, 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 to demonstrate their love for him because he, God himself, demonstrates his love for us by providing for us daily. We wake up, we breathe, we wake up, we, 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 we have food, we have water. He is the one providing for us. 
But ultimately, in John chapter 3, verse 16, he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son. So when we give, we give in response to the fact that he has given to us. But it's also a way for us to become like him when we give to him. And so God instructs Abel and, 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 and Cain to bring an offering. I don't know exactly where he's, he, he, he told them to bring, but my suspicion is he probably brought it where it's the angel with the sword that was flaming, the, the flaming sword that was flashing, probably just outside over there. And they could come and bring their offering there. There was a place, a location that they had to bring it. If you read Genesis chapter 4, you'll see that. And then there was a time that they were to bring that particular offering. And then there was a way he had instructed them they were to, how to bring that offering. I suspect also he had told Adam and Eve and somehow they knew how to bring offering to him because God himself in Genesis chapter 3 from verse 22, he had offered a sacrifice. He had sacrificed an animal to cover the sin of, of Adam and Eve to atone for their sin and to cover their nakedness. So they had an idea of what sacrifice was already. And so God, having provided a location, a time, and instructions of how Cain and Abel were to approach him and how they were to bring this offering for fellowship and relationship with him, a time comes, at the, at the appointed time and the location, they come. Cain had a different profession. He worked the soil, and Abel worked the flocks. He, he kept flocks. The Bible says this, that Cain brought some of the fruit as an offering to the Lord. But then it says, but... Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. You see, Abel, if you look at his offering, he really thought through the kind of offering he was going to bring to the Lord. Because he knew this is a Kairos moment. This is a very important moment. And he wanted to worship the Lord in a meaningful manner. And he thought through very well about how he was to bring an offering to God. He probably knew that also God thought seriously before everything he gives us. He thought he had thought through it. And so he was responding to the fact that God had actually uh, thought through what he gives him. And so we are told that he brought some fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Secondly, Abel brought from the firstborn, we are told, firstborn animals. This was the fact of the fact that it was a firstborn. This was an act of obedience to God because firstborn, as you remember in the Old Testament, was representative of the whole. It is essence, in essence, he's telling God, I am giving you everything I have by giving you the firstborn. Some of you may remember during the Passover when the angel of death was going to come and bring death all over uh, Israel and Egypt. God said, put the blood of the lamb on the door and your firstborn will be spared. But in Egypt, for those who didn't put the blood of the lamb, their firstborns died. But the reality is, all of them died. But the firstborn died as a representative of all. And so firstborn always represented all. And it's not just the firstborn, but even the first fruit represented the fact that this is all yours. And this is what God had probably instructed them to bring. To the, to, the, to, the, to the offering. Because later on in the, in, the, in, the, in the scriptures, of course, he gives instructions on how that is to be done. But it's also even with material things. You may recall when the Israelites were going into the promised land, 
the first city they conquered, which was a fortified city, was Jericho. They didn't fight it in that, in that sense, but they just went around it. The walls fell and they went in. But God told them, do not take anything out of that city. But everything that you get out of that city, dedicate it to me. God was saying even the material things that we have, the first ones are to be dedicated to him. The Israelites were going to conquer 10 cities in the promised land. But the first one had to be God's. In essence, when they gave to God the first one, they were saying, all the other cities are yours. But you've just allowed us to take them the way he had allowed them to take Jericho. But you may remember the scene of Achan. He went and he took some of the things that were dedicated to God. Just like sometimes we take of our tithes and offerings that are supposed to be of God. And guess what happened? They could not conquer the next city, which was Ai. They were defeated. And so it happens even in our lives. Sometimes we are defeated all over, over and again because we do not bring before the Lord what he has told us to bring, the firstborn, the first fruit, the, the first tenth in that sense. The other thing here that he does, of course, is a recognition of the ownership of God, which is the same as the first point, which is confession that everything I have belongs to you and that you indeed are God and I am not God. I don't own these things, you own them. It was an act of dependence and trust on God. You know this concept of first fruit, many people don't understand it, especially people who are in the urban areas. But usually, whenever there was a harvest, the stores would be quite full after the harvest. And by the time the people, because most of the planting season was once a year, by the time the people are getting to the first fruit, by the time the crops that have been, have been planted are coming up and they are ready to be eaten, the storehouses were very empty. It was a difficult time. There was really no food in that sense. So giving to God the first fruit or even the firstborn was a huge sacrifice because it was a time of difficulty. It was a time where starvation and hunger was around the corner. It was almost famine, so to speak. I remember my grandmother used to take the first fruit of her maize to the church. And I would ask her, why do you take the first? Why do you take, always collect and take it to the church? And she would say, it smells good. Later on, of course, I came to understand the sacrificial system of the Israelites. But what she was basically saying, when you really look at it, is when you're looking at maize and you've not eaten maize for such a long time and there is nothing, even in the market, they are very expensive. It looks nice. And it's very tempting to keep that. And yet that is what God tells us to give him. And by giving him that, you're saying, I am actually trusting you for every other product that will come out of that land. And that land is yours. Because by the time normally people bring the firstborn or the first fruit, the other products haven't actually germinated. Not germinated, but they haven't produced. Or they're in the process of still producing, but they're not at a place of eating. But you're saying, God, I am trusting you for that. But it's also where by bringing the first fruit, by bringing the firstborn, it's a declaration of freedom from idolatry. You may recall in the first commandment, God says, I'm the Lord who freed you from slavery in Egypt. You shall have no other gods. The other gods are anything that he has given to us that we use to create our gods. And by giving back to God, you're saying, I am, these things don't master me. I am free. And I'm free in you. And I'm free to worship you. The third thing that we see that Abel did is that he brought an offering before God by faith. That is what the Bible says. It is later, of course, stated in the law, this was before the law was given, that you shall bring your firstborn animal. You shall bring the first fruit later on for those who are farmers. And this was to be a reflection of the Lamb of God who was to come. 
And by doing, by bringing this lamb before God and sacrificing it and bringing the fat portion, Abel was basically humbling himself and acknowledging his own sinfulness and his own fallenness. But he was also acknowledging the holiness of God. By coming before God, you're saying, you're holy, I'm sinful. And I deserve to die. Not only do I have need for atonement, I am under the, the, the death sentence because of my sin. And by bringing this lamb, he was looking forward to the lamb of God who was going to come. Because God had promised it in Genesis 3.15 that he was going to bring salvation. And so there is a substitutionary animal that, uh, that, that Abel brings to God before faith to cover his own sinfulness for a while. And of course, Abel was in complete obedience to the instruction of God. As we see in Samuel chapter 1, in 1, 1 Samuel chapter 2 verse 30, it says, For they who honor me, I will honor them. And indeed, God honored Abel. Because he came to God on God's terms and not on his own terms. And he accepted God. Cain, on the other hand, seems to have been very casual with his offering. He just says he just brought some, not even the first fruit from his, his farm. There is no honor or reverence for God or a sense of preparation. He seems more concerned more about himself and how he looks like, about his outward appearance. It is more about, he seems to think more about, when you read that passage, he, thinks, he seems to think more about competition and, and, his, and comparisons with his brother and how he will look like. He just brought some, almost like leftovers that he had that God may have this. And the Israelites later on do this and God says, you cannot bring such offering in my sight. Cain did not present the first fruits, which would have, of course, indicated that everything I have belongs to you. He just brought some. And Cain, we are told, did not bring by faith or in obedience to how God had told him to bring. There is no repentance on his side. There is no confession. And we don't know what else, how else he was, uh, how, what else he was thinking. But basically, he seeks to patronize God. In the sense that he comes at the appointed time, he comes at the appointed location, and he comes with some offering. But God does not look at Cain without, with favor. Cain becomes angry and downcast. God tells him sin is crouching at your door desiring to have him. He needed to master that sin. But Cain chose his own way. And he received no favor from the Lord. No remorse. He avoids the consequences of sin but not the sorrow. He's not even sorrowful for his sin. He later on became a wanderer in the world. The, the, the land, by his action, he ended up cursing it so it could not even produce fruit. He ended up trying to build cities. In essence, by being a wanderer, he was just walking around trying to get away from something, chasing something else, never knowing what is chasing him, but never achieving what he wants to receive. Restless, so to speak. And this is what happens when people who don't know the Lord when they try to come to the Lord on his own terms. Religious as it may be. You may even be online. You may even be here. Coming to the right place to the appointed time. But you take God casually in your worship. He ends up killing his brother. But the Bible says by faith Abel still speaks even though he is dead. Why? Because faith supersedes this life. Abel's actions that were born of faith continued to be accounted for to his benefit. 
Think of those who bought this land. There were few. There were not many. When they came from the village market tent there, there were just a few. And even back this tent, this land would have been impossible. But guess what? We have enjoyed it. Our children have enjoyed it. A lot of ministry has taken place out of, out of this place. They bought it by faith. And as we benefit, it is accounted to them. It's accounted to their benefit, to their book, to the book of whatever is in heaven, to their crowns. Because they gave by faith. Because faith supersedes where we are, even when we will not be there. It continues to be a testimony. It sets an example, a model. And so today, it's the same is applying. When we looked at Molika and that small boy, that small boy saying he wants his children to be, by our participation in constructing facilities for them for discipleship, we are ministering to generations that we do not even know, that we do not even see. And this is what Paul says in First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19 to 20. For what is, speaking to the Thessalonians, he says, for what is our hope? What is our joy? Or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes. Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory. God is saying here, when you invest in people, when you build in people, it is accounted to your account continuously. Because this become our joy. Those, those children that Mulika had over here and the children who are yet to be born, those will be our glory. However little we participate in the work of God, it will continue to be accounted to us. And my brothers and sisters, I want to let us know, do not murder. Do not murder. This murder in the Bible is not necessarily physical murder. Because anytime the people of God gather, there are those who come with honest hearts, they just want to offer to the Lord. They are not into competition. And whenever we come here to give, and you will be seeing some auction and other things, the key issue is not the competition. The key issue is coming to the Lord honestly. And God is not, I've talked to a lot of people and some people are very afraid. They say, I can't, I can't give an offering. I can't come before these people because I don't have as much money as so and so has. It's not about competition. The question is, are you giving the Lord your best? And if you give five shillings and that is your best, God accepts it. Whatever people say. One of my best testimonies when we had our first fundraiser was a little kid, two little children. I don't even remember their names. But all they did is they came here with their little banks and they gave everything that was in those banks. One was a lady from Dockers and I knew she's a needy lady and she came and she gave. I don't even remember what she gave. But I just remember that the fact that she had faith to come and give. But how can we murder and not murder? You see, in any place like where God's people are gathered, there are those who come and their aim is actually to speak badly of others and to speak badly of the things of God. And if you've come here with that kind of mentality, then what happens is you will go away not joyful, downcast like Cain. This is supposed to be a joyful event. Where we come, you may recall David having given to the temple of God and they were rejoicing. But if you come with a heart full of praise, may the Lord bless you and watch over you. I'm not able to continue to the other points like I had mentioned a little a bit earlier. But some of this, one of these days, we shall continue to those uh, particular uh, points and just look at them. Thank you, Kinoti. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord watch over you, even as we celebrate before him.